Bible commands us several different places to give thanks. And I think a lot of the reason for that is because so often we are neglectful and forgetful to give thanks. And, and I was just sitting there listening to them sing Christ is born. And, and I, I'm thankful. I'm thankful Christ is born for, for us. As I was thinking about Thanksgiving this past week, some things that I am thankful for, I was just trying to take some time to specifically think of things that I'm thankful for. I'm, I'm of course, thankful for salvation. I'm thankful that, that Christ was born, that He has saved me from my sins. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my wife, my sweet baby boy. Two months old today. He's two months old today, and it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. I'm very thankful, very thankful. I'm thankful for friends, for lifelong friends that I've had literally since I was born for some newer friendships that I've developed over the years that I've become really close to people. I'm very, I'm very thankful. I am almost done with my master's degree, and I am thankful. <laughs> I graduate, Lord willing, if I get all my assignments done. I graduate next Friday, and I am so thankful for that. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this church. I'm really thankful for Hillcrest. Not a lot of people get to do what I do. I have been here basically my entire life. I've grown up here. I've, I've lived life among most of you, and you've watched me grow up, and now I'm getting to serve in the place where I grew up. It's, it's really a blessing. Not many people get to do that. A lot of people who go into ministry, they'll, they'll grow up in church, or God will call them into the ministry, and they'll go and serve somewhere else. But not a lot of people get to serve in the place that they call home, and I'm, I'm very grateful for this church, uh, for, each, for each of you. I'm grateful for the freedoms that we have in America, for the opportunities that we have. We have blessings, we have opportunities that a lot of the world does not have, and for that I am thankful. I'm thankful for health. I'm, I'm thankful to have good health. I'm thankful for our missions efforts that we're going into next year. We just got through with our missions month in November. I'm thankful for the money that we've given, the, the efforts, the partners that we have established and the trips that will be going, going on next year. I'm thankful that the gospel is being sent to the nations. As I think about things I'm thankful for, I, I realize that genuine gratitude is something that seems to be very rare today. People don't really show gratitude. A lot of people just aren't grateful people. They seem to expect everything. What they're giving, things they receive, they just expect it. We live in a culture of entitlement where we just deserve things. We think we just deserve things. We deserve a certain lifestyle. We deserve certain accessories. We, deserve, we, can, we can behave any way we want to with no consequences because, you know, I'm just entitled to do what I want to do. That's the culture we live in. We don't have to earn anything. We just, hey, I, just, I want it, I get it. I'm entitled to that. We think we deserve a lot of things. And there are a lot of people in our culture and in our churches who are just ungrateful. Being thankful for something is foreign to many people. And we see this in Luke 17. In Luke chapter 17, there's a story that's very familiar to many of us. It's a story where Jesus cleanses ten lepers. We see that he cleanses ten lepers, yet only one of those men who were healed is genuinely grateful. So this morning as we consider thanksgiving and being grateful, let's pray and then read Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. God, as we open your word this morning, 
as we, as we hear what you have to say, God, would you give us ears to hear what your word has to say, eyes to see it, minds to comprehend your word, and hearts to receive it and to respond in obedience to you. God, would you move among us this morning? Would you speak to us through your word? We are thankful that we can gather, we can gather freely to hear your word. And Lord, may you draw us near to yourself so we may hear what you have to say and be changed by you. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Read with me Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. There's some things that we observe from this story. First, we see that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is, he started a journey back in chapter 9, verse 51, setting his face toward Jerusalem, where he would go to Jerusalem for the last time. This, were, this is when he would go and he would be uh, arrested, betrayed, crucified for the sins of the world. He is heading to Jerusalem. This is a longer journey. It's not just like over a week. It's maybe over uh, uh, maybe a couple months, but it's, it's a longer journey. He's beginning this journey. And in chapter 17, we, we see that he's going through Samaria and Galilee. He's passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. These were sick men who were outcasts because of ha- having leprosy. So first of all, we see some sick men that Jesus encountered who had leprosy. Leprosy was a term for various skin diseases. Uh, Lepers were outcasts of society. They were considered unclean because of their skin diseases. This was the worst kind of disease that a person could have. They were deemed unclean. They were removed from the city and they were alienated from the people because of their uncleanness. And according to Jewish law, if you read Leviticus 13 and 14, you see laws concerning leprosy. Two whole chapters devoted to this. We see that lepers would have to cry aloud, unclean, unclean. They would have to proclaim their uncleanness to people so that people would know to stay away from them. They were outcasts. They were were just looked down upon. They were seen as dirty, as disgusting, as unclean. They were to live alone outside of the camp of the people of Israel. So not only were they alienated physically, they were alienated socially. They could not be around anybody, and they didn't have the relationships with other people. They were cast out. And so when we see them coming to Jesus, they stood at a distance out of respect because they they weren't supposed to get close to anybody. And they're crying out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on us. Master, have mercy on us. These men were deeply aware of their need, and they cried out to Jesus. There's no doubt that these men were, were unaware. They were completely aware of their sickness. They were completely aware of their disease, of their condition. And they cried out to Jesus when they saw him. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They were deeply aware of their need. 
and they cried out to Jesus to have mercy on them. That's a lot like us. When, we're, when we recognize a need in our lives, we're quick to cry out to Jesus. Jesus, help me with this need. I, I need this, God. Would you, would you help me with this? And this brings up another important subject that we may not see at first glance here, but I think it's important to talk about. It's the subject of prayer. The subject of prayer, which is literally calling out to God. Prayer is calling out to God. If you look back in verse 5, the uh, verse 5 says, The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. This is a prayer to the Lord. Lord, increase our faith. Jesus, in the first four verses, had just talked to them about temptations to sin and just giving them kind of uh, what they need to do there. And I'm sure that the apostles were like, that's a big task. Lord, increase our faith so that we can do this. And then we see here in, in verse 13, these lepers cry out to Jesus, calling out to God, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They recognized their alienation. They recognized their ailment, and they cried out to God for mercy. Just a couple of weeks ago, we finished up a, a mini-series in youth on prayer, talking about just uh, what prayer is and how to pray and different things like that. In a book I was reading, uh, there, was a, there was a line in there that was repeated often, and it said, prayer is like oxygen for the Christian. We need prayer to live. And so just like you and I need oxygen to live, we, we breathe in, breathe out, we, we breathe in oxygen. We need that to live. The Christian needs prayer. The Christian needs prayer. And prayer is calling out to God. And we see these men crying out to God in their need. We know prayer is important. We talk about prayer. But why do so many Christians find it hard to pray? Or even neglect to pray? Or if they do pray, a lot of times we pray insincere, cold, heartless prayers. And a lot of times, I believe, is that you and I do not have a real awareness of the seriousness of our sin. We don't understand the wickedness of the sin in our own lives. Well, sin, yeah, that's what other people do. That's what the bad people do. But we're, we're church-going good people. We don't sin. That's a lot of times what our mindset can be. Or I don't sin that bad. A lot of times we can think that way, and therefore we don't think we need prayer. Because prayer is calling out to God when we realize we have a need, and we're calling out to God to meet that need. But if we don't pray, what we're really showing is that we don't see a need for God. For the most part, I would dare say that you and I are better than we think we are. We think we're better than we are. Excuse me. We don't cry out to God because you and I, a lot of times, may not see our need for Him. We have things. If we need food, we go to the grocery store and buy it. If we need clothes, we, we go buy clothes. Shoot, we can just get on our phone and two days later, it'll package will be sitting at our house. We offer up weak and trite prayers to God and, and we go about our lives thinking overall we're pretty good people. We don't need tons of forgiveness because really we just we hadn't sinned that bad. We're pretty good people. We're not, real, we're not like those lepers. We're not that bad. We're not that outcast. We don't see ourselves that way. Few of us are like the sinful woman who sat at Jesus' feet and wept, crying out to Him. And many of us are like the Pharisee who, in that story, didn't think He needed much forgiveness. I can recall times in my own life where I have sinned and I have literally thought, thank God that His mercies are new every day. I'm off the hook. That is awful. It's an awful way to look at God's forgiveness. And I do that, yes, God does forgive us of our sins. God will forgive us of our sins in Christ Jesus. And I am thankful for God's mercies. They are new. 
And God has forgiven me of my sins, but I'm not entitled to his forgiveness. And a lot of times that's my mentality of, well, I can sin because God will forgive me. As if, as if I'm entitled to God's forgiveness. See, here Jesus was. He just entered this village and ten lepers were crying out to him to have mercy on them. They lived in isolation. They were physically away and relationally away, socially away from everybody. They were keenly aware of their uncleanness and their need for help. And when they saw Jesus, they cried out to him for help. And like these ten men who are aware of their disease, you and I must have a real and deep awareness of our sinfulness. When we are truly aware of our sinful souls, we will earnestly cry out to God for help and for mercy. But if we don't take time to examine ourselves, to examine our lives, to look at our own sin, then we're not going to think we need God. But it's truly when we come into contact, when we come in and we counter God's word, and we realize who God is, He's a holy God, and we realize how sinful we are, we realize our need for Him, and we will cry out to Him for mercy. We see these sick men that Jesus encountered. Jesus responded to them. We see the Savior's response in verse 14. Verse 14 says, When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus responds to the lepers by showing them mercy. Jesus didn't have to reach out to them. Jesus could have said, You guys are unclean. I'm going to go the other way. I'm not, I'm not getting near you guys. I'm not dealing with you guys. That's what the rest of society did. We're not having anything to do with you guys because you were unclean. But he showed them mercy. He didn't touch them, or he didn't pronounce healing on them. A lot of times when we see Jesus ministering to people, healing people, he would go and he would lay hands on them, or he would say, be clean, or be healed. He would, he would give a healing there. But he didn't do that. He didn't say, may your leprosy be removed, or be clean. He said, go and show yourselves to the priests. This was, keeping, uh, this was in keeping with the law found in Leviticus 14. There were requirements and there were laws about uh, cleansing of lepers when, when the priest was the one who determined whether or not a leper was healed and was clean and could be restored back to society. And so Jesus, being obedient to the law, said, go to the priest. The priest is the one who can determine whether or not you are clean. And Jesus told them to go. They could have stayed there, not believed him. But telling them to go required a certain degree of faith on the part of all ten lepers. As they went, the end of verse 14 says, they were cleansed. As they went. And I can just imagine, if they wouldn't have gone, they wouldn't have been healed. Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were healed. They all knew Jesus had the power to heal them. That's why they cried out to Jesus. They knew he could. And when Jesus said, go, they went. They obeyed him. Jesus gave the lepers a clear instruction to follow. And as they obeyed his command, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. This event shows childlike obedience to every word of Christ. When Jesus said go, they went. They didn't sit around and discuss what Jesus meant by go. Well, which route do we need to take to go to the priests? Do we need to go this way or, or this way? or When do we need to go? Do we need to go right now or do we need to go tomorrow or maybe next week? Should we go as a group or should we go individually? Or how, Jesus, how, how are we to go? They, they simply went. Jesus said go and they went. 
It was a simple command. It, there was no complication to it. Go show yourself to the priests. They went and they were healed. Through their obedience, they received Christ's blessing of being cleansed from their leprosy. Jesus gave them a clear command. And through their obedience to Christ's command, they received Christ's blessings. And it got, to me th- it got me to thinking about the commands of Christ that are so clear in Scripture. What are some of the commands in Scripture that we see that Christ has just made so clear? Love God. Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summed up the whole law when he was talking to the uh, Pharisees. He said, love God, love people. That basically sums up the whole law. Go and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations. That's a pretty clear command. I think about, there's a, there's a guy, he's uh, a Blue Mountain student. He came to me a couple weeks ago. Uh, he said, hey man, I'm looking for some discipleship. And I'm like, okay, are you wanting to help lead some students? Or what do you think? He said, no, I, just, I need some personal discipleship. I'm, I'm looking for that. And, and I'm, I'm like, okay, great. And I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to do this. I'm like, why would you come to me, man? I, I'm, I'm busy. I'm in seminary. I've got a newborn. I've I got all these things going on in my life. I can point you to somebody else. But Lord just laid it on my heart and said, Jack, come on. He came to you. Take, go. I didn't know how I was going to do it. But through this, through being intentional to meet with this guy every week, we've, we've grown and have, we have a really good friendship now. And I would have missed out on a blessing of a, of a good friendship, of someone to hold me accountable, to memorize God's word, to stay in his word, to pray to somebody who will pray with me, who will pray for me. I think if I wouldn't have been obedient to Christ's commands, to just, being the, just always having on the for, forefront of my mind, to make disciples, what I would have missed, this blessing that I would have missed. It's the, highlight of wanting, it's the highlight of my week is getting to meet with him and just talk about God's word, to, to share scripture that we're learning together and just to pray with him. Being obedient to Christ's commands. When we're obedient to his commands, we receive blessings from him. We don't obey Christ's commands simply to receive blessings from him, but God does bless us as we obey him. We see that all ten lepers were obedient to Christ's command. Jesus said go, and as they went, they were cleansed. They all went. They all were cleansed. All ten lepers were cleansed because of their obedience to Christ. Yet this is where we see an interesting turn in the story because after all ten men had left and had gone on their way, one recognized that he had been healed, and he turned around and he came back to Jesus. We see this Samaritan man returned to Jesus. When I was a child, and I would go maybe to a friend's birthday party, or I'd spend the night with somebody, uh, one of my friends, anytime my parents came to pick me up, the first thing they would ask me when, when I got in the car was, did you tell them thank you? And if I did, great, let's go. Then they'd ask how, if I had a good time and things like that. But if I didn't, get out of the car, go back in. I'd have to tell my friend thank you and his parents thank you. This was just teaching me to be grateful for things. Not to just expect things, but to be grateful. This is something that was instilled in me as a child. And I I try to practice this even today, every chance I get, just to be grateful for things. To tell people thank you. To show that I'm genuinely grateful for for things that people do for me or things like that. Just being genuinely thankful. My parents taught me to be grateful and that is something that I'm grateful for. In verses 15 and 16, then one of them said, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. 
And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. One of the men turned back after seeing that he had been healed. And he was praising God softly. Just thank you, Jesus. Yeah. No, he was praising God with a loud voice. Rejoicing that he had been healed. Recognizing what God had done for him. And praising God. Giving him thanks. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. This is a sign of worship. This is a posture of worship. This is another instance where we see that Jesus' deity, he was, he, I don't know if the Samaritan man recognized what he was doing or not, but he bowed down on his face, worshiping this Jewish man who had just healed him. This man had been a leper. He was separated from society. No telling how long. We don't see that here. He was separated from society. And Jesus healed him. Where they were ostracizing, told, and they had a crowd to people, I'm unclean, don't come around me. Jesus took the time to focus in on them and to meet their need. And he was thankful. He was praising God with a loud voice. And while nine of the ten men took off and went about their way, this man recognized that he no longer had the skin disease. He turned around and came back to Jesus to give him thanks. And then Luke adds this interesting detail. It seems kind of like, you know, you're driving down the road, and then you hit a speed bump, and you're just like, whoa, okay. This, is, this seems like a little speed bump in the, in the middle of the story that this man, he turned, he, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. That phrase seems a little, okay, Luke, why, why is that important? Well, we know about the relationship between Jews and Samaritans, right? Jews hated Samaritans. There was hostility between them. We've seen that. Jesus even encountered this a little earlier in Luke, where he was in chapter 9, where he was entering a Samaritan village, and they, they rejected him. They were hostile toward Jesus. That's why the stories of the Good Samaritan and, and Jesus encountering the woman at the well are very just impactful. Like For the readers there, they would have, that would have stood out. Because there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. Because Samaritans were seen as dogs. They were seen as worthless people by the Jews. And so the fact that there was a reference to a good Samaritan who showed neighborly love. What? Jesus encountering a Samaritan woman in the middle of the day? Like, that, that, that's unheard of. There's hostility between Jews and Samaritans. But a major theme in Luke and Acts is the advancement of the gospel into places that seem unlikely and unexpected. And we see that here in Luke 17. As a Samaritan, not the Jews, the Samaritan is the one who gives thanks to Jesus. And we can assume these other men are Jews because when Jesus said, go to the priests, they went to the priests. The Samaritans likely would not have been included in that. And so we see that the Jews, none of these Jewish men, went to the priests. But this one Samaritan man, this foreigner, as Jesus described him, was the one to return and give him thanks. The Samaritan man, he comes back to Jesus and he falls down on his face. As I mentioned, it's a posture of worship. And gives thanks to Jesus for healing him of his uncleanness. He was thankful. He was grateful for what Jesus had done for him. 
How often do you and I just stop and even go back and give God thanks for what He has done? For who He is. For what He has done for us. We live extremely busy lives. We're always on the go. We're always doing something more, adding something to our schedule. We're, God, I, I don't have time to give you thanks for the, the car I have and the job I have because I've got to get in my car to drive fast to get to work because I'm running late. And we're, we're always just on the go. We've always got something else to do. And we're, we're so fast-paced and so busy. How often do you stop and are you just still and you just give thanks to God? Just for who He is. For how He's blessed you. God has blessed each of us so richly. Do you give thanks to God for what He has done for you? I'm not saying, do you go about your way, oh, thanks God, that was, that was nice, appreciate that. And go about your way and pay no more attention to God. That's what the other nine men did. Does your life demonstrate that you are thankful to God. What does a life look like that is thankful to God? I say we see that here with the Samaritan. Someone who turns to God, humbles himself, and submits to Him in worship. That's exactly what the Samaritan did. A life that is thankful to God is a life that is, is humbling themselves. A person who humbles themselves before God, submits to Him daily, and worships Him with their lives. Do you and I take time? Do we turn back when God blesses us, when God does something for us that we do not deserve? Do we take time right then and say thank you? I can almost hear it as I was, as I was thinking about this. It's the other nine left and the one returned. I know a lot of times I'm guilty of, well, yeah, they know I'm thankful. Jesus, Jesus knows I'm thankful. You know, obviously I'm, you know, I'm grateful for the blessings I have. Yeah, yeah, sure. But do we stop and do we really consider what it is that God has done for us? Christ is born. We're coming up on Christmas season. The advent of Christ, the coming of the Savior. Do we take time to really focus on Jesus and what that means? The reason we have Christmas is because you and I are sinners. Not so we can look at lights and decorate a Christmas tree. It's because you and I are sinners. That's the reason Jesus came in the first place. It's to save us from our sins. And do we take time, especially during these holiday seasons, to take time to stop and thank God for what He has done, that He is born, that He is here, God with us, Emmanuel? Do we take time right then? Not, well, I'll thank Him, I'll thank him later. You know, I, yeah, I just remember when I going back to my parents, when, when I would get in the car after a friend's house, it wasn't, hey, did you, take, did you tell them thank you? Okay, you can text them when we get home. No, go right now, get your butt out of the car, go inside the house and tell them thank you. And we did. And as soon as I got back, did you tell him thank you? Yes, sir. All right, here we go. It's just taking time right then to tell them thank you. Do we take time right now to tell God thank you? What are things that you're thinking of right now that you are thankful for? As Don mentioned earlier, hopefully a lot of these blessings were sitting around the table with you this week. Hopefully you were able to take time this week to sit and count blessings in your life. Are you thankful? The last few verses in this section <clears throat> demonstrate a distinction between the Samaritan and the other nine men. Other than, that, other than the Samaritan turning and coming back, we see another distinction. And it's that of a saving faith. 
a saving faith. Jesus asked three rhetorical questions. Look with me in verse 17. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He asked three rhetorical questions directed toward these nine Jewish men who did not return to give thanks. There's some irony here that we're meant to recognize. I've already mentioned about the hostility between Jews and Samaritans. And that Jesus even experienced hostility as he was encountering some Samaritans in Luke chapter 9. Yet here it is. The Samaritan is the one who returns. The Samaritan returns to Jesus, to this Jewish man, to give him thanks for healing him. A common theme that we see in Luke and Acts is the gospel spreading to all nations. A lot of times that we see in, in Luke, especially records this in, in Luke and Acts, we see the Jews, God's chosen people, rejecting Jesus. And the Gentiles, many Gentiles received Him. The men who would have likely been expected to give thanks to God went about their way to go back to their normal lives, to go to the priests, and the one who no one would have thought would have turned to give thanks is the one who came back, fell on his face, and gave thanks. So what about the non-Jews who were healed? What about them? Did they take their healing for granted? Well, yeah, I expect to be healed. I'm a Jew. They seem to be more concerned about getting back to their regular lives than they were about giving thanks to Jesus. It seems to me that they just expected to be healed because of who they were, maybe. What about you and me? Do we take God's blessings on our lives for granted? Do we expect God to bless us as if we deserve it? We're quick to ask God for things. We're quick to ask God for help, for, for God to bless us. Yet how often do we just run back to our normal lives and give no more thought to God, thanking Him for what He's done? How often do we expect God's blessings? A lot of times we'll even get mad if we don't get what we expected. God, I expected this from you. <laughs> How often do we do that? There's something to be said that only one out of the ten men who were healed returned to give thanks to Jesus. Far too many of us, us, far too many of us do not have a deep sense of our own sinfulness. And we live our lives like the nine men who were healed and go about their lives giving no thanks to God. There's far too many people, you and I included, that want Jesus' healing, that want blessings from Jesus, but do not give Him thanks. As I mentioned earlier, these men, they knew Jesus could heal them. That's why they cried out to Him. They knew Jesus could heal them, and they trusted Him to heal them. You and I do that. We know Jesus can heal. We call out to Jesus. We cry out to Jesus, Lord, heal, heal this sick person in my family. Lord, take care of this situation. Take care of tension in my family. Take care of this person who is in a car wreck. We, we cry out to Jesus because we know Jesus can heal and we trust Jesus to heal. But we see with these men that they didn't want to take time to thank Him. They wanted to receive His blessings, but they didn't want to hang around Him too long. They got what they wanted and they left. 
A lot of times, you and I get what we want from God. We ask God for blessings. And when God blesses us, we may say, thank you, God. And for a moment, we may be thankful. Then we just go about our lives showing we really aren't thankful. Jesus told the Samaritan who returned, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Or or your faith has saved you. It can be translated that way as well. Your faith has saved you. The Samaritan man in turning and coming back to Jesus demonstrated that he trusted in Jesus. He, wasn't, he was thankful for the blessing, but more than the blessing, he was thankful for Jesus. He was thankful that he had been healed, but he came back and he thanked the one who healed him. He demonstrated faith in Jesus and was saved because of his trust in God. Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And there's a lesson to be learned from this. I think it's really important. A person can experience God working in his or her life and even may experience and receive blessings or healing from God yet fall short of receiving salvation. Ten men were healed. Only one was saved. All ten men who were lepers were healed from their disease. And we would call that common grace. God giving grace to people. The fact that an evil person who commits all kinds of evil can take their next breath. That is common grace. The fact that you and I can breathe, can, can slander God with one word and then speak another the next is, is a gift of grace. Yet only one received eternal healing. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Saving grace. This Samaritan man received saving grace because of his faith in Jesus. And I think about that passage where we see that many, about the narrow gate and the wide gate... And Luke, a couple chapters earlier, talks about this. Many will try to enter in through the narrow door, but will not be able. And they'll say, Lord, we saw you do great things. We were there when you did this. God, we saw you heal that person. God, you healed this person in my family. God, we trusted you to do that. Yet only the person who has a humble heart and recognizes their need for God and places their trust in Him will be saved. These ten men, at the beginning of this encounter... They recognized their need for God. They cried out to Jesus for help. And when they got what they needed, they left. Nine of them left. One of them really recognized that there was something more. He recognized how wicked, how unclean he really was. And he turned back. And because of his faith in God, he was saved. Ten lepers cried out to Jesus, yet only one was saved. Ten were healed, one was saved. Ten were healed, one gave thanks. Ten were healed, only one truly recognized his helpless situation and humbled himself before Jesus, praising God and giving him thanks. Humility is the key to being thankful. Humility is the key to being thankful. If we are full of pride and full of ourselves, we're not going to be thankful for anything because we think we deserve everything. Humility is the key to truly being thankful. I love this quote from J.C. Ryle. It says, It is the person who daily feels his debt to grace and daily remembers that in reality he deserves nothing but hell who will be blessed, blessing and praising God every day. Thankfulness blossoms from a root of humility. When you and I really recognize daily our depravity, our need, for God, and that we really deserve nothing but hell. 
then we will be thankful. We will be humble before God. We are thankful when we view what we receive as undeserved. But we do not give thanks if we receive what we expect. If we expect something from other people, it's likely we're not going to say thank you because we expected it. A lot of times when we feel something is undeserved, that is when we will give thanks. So think about salvation for a moment. Do you deserve salvation? Surely everyone would say no. But do you live like you know you don't deserve salvation? Or do you live as like, well, I know I don't deserve it, but yeah, I'm saved. I kind of, yeah, I kind of yeah, deserve that. I'm a pretty good person. I think back over the summer, uh, Ivy and I had college students who came to our house. And we did a Bible study throughout the summer, and one of the students, uh, we, we kind of had, a, we made a running joke out of this, but one of the students was telling us that, um, she told us a story about how when she was younger, she went to grab a cookie out of the cookie jar, and, and her parents were like, no, you, we told you you can't have a cookie right now. And she's like, well, I deserve it. And her mom was like, no, you deserve death and hell. You don't deserve a cookie. And we kind of had a little running joke throughout the summer about, oh, yeah, you just deserve death and hell. And I told Ivy, I said over John Malcolm's crib, I was going to put a little sign that said, you deserve death and hell. She didn't like that. But um, <laughs> anyway, we, we make it a running joke. We laugh about that. But that's the reality of each of us. We don't deserve our next breath. We don't deserve blessings. We deserve death. And hell, eternal separation from God because we are sinners who have committed sin against a holy God. And we deserve His wrath, His judgment. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve blessings. And when we understand that we don't deserve God's favor, then will we be grateful for receiving what is undeserved. God loved us while we were sinners. God loved us first so that we could love Him. That's a Halo's verse and I love it. 1 John 4, 19. God loved, we love because He first loved us. I love it. We don't deserve God's love. We don't deserve His blessings. But He is a compassionate God. He is a good God. He is a loving God. But too often, I speak for myself, I know I do, and I'm sure a lot of you do. We think we expect things from God as if we, as if we deserve them. We're thankful for a moment but then we live our lives as if what we received from God was something we deserved. Something that was to be expected. I was thinking about this last night. I'm like, you know, Lord, I'm in the ministry. I'm pursuing this. I'm, I'm doing these things. I have a son now. It can be easy for me to fall into this temptation of God. I, you know, I expect you to save my son. He deserves that. He's a sweet little boy. He hadn't cried his whole time. He's been sleeping. He's a sweet little boy. God, you know, he deserves it. He, he expects it. It can be easy for me to fall into the temptation of expecting God to save my son. Well, yeah, I'll just, I'll raise him in church and I'll do these things and I'll just, I expect God to save him as if he deserves it. But the reality is that I can't accept that. And just as the lepers did, recognizing their state and crying out to God for mercy, that's all I can do is cry out to God, God, please have mercy on my son. And please, one day, save his wretched soul. As cute as he is and as sweet as he is, he is no different from you and me. He deserves hell. I went up and said that to Ivy last night, and she looked at me like, what? Each of us deserves hell. 
But God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive together with Christ. In Him, we can have salvation. And we should be thankful for that. Thankfulness rises from humility and it leads to worship. That's what we see here. When we understand our helpless situation as sinners separated from God, our response is to humbly submit ourselves and come before Jesus in repentance, knowing we are unworthy of His forgiveness. Not just knowing it up here, but really feeling it. Having a good sense that we are unworthy of His forgiveness. And we are to fall on our faces before Him in worship. Because of who He is. One day, Philippians 2 says, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because He is worthy of worship. And that is our response to God. And He is so gracious and loving. He has granted salvation in Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved except through Jesus Christ. And if you are saved, our response to God is to give thanks to Him. Think about when Philip was singing earlier, just, I give thanks, I give thanks, I give thanks. How important that is to give thanks because how often we forget or neglect to do it. Genuine gratitude is, is rare in our world today. And sadly, it even seems to be rare among many Christians. The majority of us are like the nine lepers who cried out to God for mercy and went on their way after receiving what they needed. Not giving thanks to God. And very few, very few of us are like the lone Samaritan who went back to give thanks. Our response to God this morning is simply this. Give thanks to Him. Give thanks to God. Thank God for what He has done. Thank God for the blessings that He has given you that you do not deserve. Thank God for sending His Son, Jesus, to save you from your sins. Thank God for Emmanuel, God with us. And as we see in the Samaritan man here, we all are unworthy to receive mercy from God. Yet God has granted salvation through Jesus Christ. If you do not have that forgiveness, you do not deserve it. But God offers it. God has made a way for you to receive forgiveness of your sins through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I plead with you, turn today from your sins. Turn and come to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Place your faith in Him. As we see that this Samaritan man's faith made him well, your faith in Jesus will make you well. Receive His forgiveness and then turn and give Him thanks. So as we have entered into this time of response, just take time where you are. Where you are, come to the altar. Just whatever you need to do, give thanks to God. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Consider what God has done in your life. Thank Him for the salvation you've received. If you've not received that salvation, He is calling today. Come and receive His forgiveness and give Him thanks. Father, as we think about what You have done... God, we are thankful. We are so unfaithful. We are so unworthy of Your love, of Your mercy and forgiveness and Your grace. But God, You offer it to us. 
God, we have nothing to bring. We have nothing to give You. And that is why You sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for us. Because we had nothing, so You gave us what we needed. Lord, we live in a culture where a lot of times we are not thankful. We may be thankful about some things, but Lord, a lot of times we, th- we look over just how richly You've blessed us. Would You convict us? Would You draw us near to Your throne of grace? Would You help us to give thanks? We need Your help to give us thanks, God. Lord, we thank You for who You are. We thank You for Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.